Thank you, Colleen, and thank you, Harvey, for what you do. You're an extension of Jesus in this community. And those food boxes, it's far more than food. It's the bread of heaven, the bread of life. And we share Jesus when we go door to door. As you can see from that story, they were, they were praying with these ladies. I got to follow them around on that, that weekend, and it was so powerful. Thank you for giving, Bethel Church. When you give, understand what we're doing is not just at Christmas time. We don't just do food boxes around the holidays. We're doing this every single month. And when you give, you're a part of that. Can I just say thank you? Generosity, generous people are planned givers. That means you give a percentage. You plan it, you put it into your budget, and you're priority givers. And thank you for bringing your checks by. Thank you for sending them in the mail. I know these envelopes, um, they just come with all kinds of gifts in them. So thank you for being faithful. And of course, the best way to give is to go online. Many of you are doing that. And thank you for being so faithful to the Lord through your giving, and even your missions giving. Thank you for that. So God bless you for that. There's been so many great things that have happened as a result of these online giving, or online messages, and I just wanted to share again some of the stories, like last week when we've been taking communion. Today we're not gonna take communion together for reasons I'll explain later, but, but it's been wonderful to see you having communion. Look at these pictures of just various ones who sent in their moment of taking the, the bread and the juice and remembering what Jesus did, and I was so inspired. Our whole pastoral team was so inspired to see these pictures of you taking communion using different kinds of crackers, from wheat thins to, to Ritz crackers and all kinds of bread and juice. And I love what you are doing because that's really what communion should do. It should happen in the home. It's, an, it's a family experience. So I'm so proud of you. Uh, thank you for doing that. And then just to see, I mean, um, kids worshiping. I love this. Watching um, one family, that, that there they were, their kids were fully engaged, not just in the communion experience, but the worship experience, and lifting their voices, and even lifting their hands to the Lord inside your home. It, it fills my heart. So thank you for that. I also saw some pictures, uh, some families sent in that this last week, Holy Week, they were teaching, of course school and home is in their home, and they're teaching the Easter death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. How wonderful it is to see that back in school is prayer and back in school is the Bible and back in school is the Ten Commandments and back in school we have God back in school. It's wonderful. So parents, good job taking advantage of the opportunities you are teaching your kids about the Lord. So proud of you. Matter of fact, um, I just want to share, um, we also have one fun moment speaking of children. Pastor Jeremy and Courtney have put together a virtual egg hunt. That's right. It's a virtual egg hunt. You'll love it. Go to the website. Check it out. It's going to be, uh, of course, all throughout the week, and you can go on there, and you can count eggs, and there will be prizes for those who uh, count the right number of eggs and find the golden egg. So lots of fun stuff. Thanks, Pastor Jeremy. Have fun with that. Parents, you too, you can have fun with it. We got prizes for the kids as well. So I'm, I'm so excited for that. Well, I want to just dive in today. Um, Easter. Boy, so many things we could talk about on Easter centered around Jesus. But we're continuing with this series called Untroubled Hearts. Jesus said in John 14, don't let your heart be troubled. 
but trust in God. Trust in me, for I go to prepare a place for you. Have you put your trust in him? And when you do, your heart can be untroubled in uncertain times. So that's where we get this title, Untroubled Hearts. Uh, I wanna just tell a quick story as we dive in. I hope you've got your Bible ready. We're gonna go to Romans in just a minute, Romans chapter eight. I have this fun little toy, and when Ember, my granddaughter, uh, when she was much younger, um, I would take this toy over to her home, and some of you can see what this is. It's a jack-in-the-box is what they call it. It's really a clown that jumps up. I guess his name's Jack, but at the end of the song, he jumps up, and it's just this fun little ditty thing. And so uh, it was Ember's and my kind of favorite moment. I would come over to her house, and we'd play this. And of course, she's only two years old, and her expression at the end of the song was priceless. It's so fun. I think we have a couple pictures of her. So we developed this relationship over several months of doing this. Matter of fact, we've been doing it through FaceTime and trying to keep that social distance thing. And you can see her. Here she is. And she does her little jack-in-the-box on her end of the phone, and I do mine on my end of the phone. And what's so funny is just a few weeks ago when I was preaching, here I am, and I'm talking and preaching on the TV, Ember runs into her room, and she picks up the picture that Joanne had made of the jack-in-the-box. She loved this toy so much. Joanne went to all the lengths of taking a picture of it and uh, giving it to Ember. So here she is. She wants to share the -the jack-in-the-box with Poppy while I'm speaking on the TV. In Ember's little mind, every time we would get to the end of this song, she had an expectation that Jack was going to jump out of the box this little faith of ember, and I'm thinking, why didn't the friends of Jesus have that kind of faith that they would know that Jesus was gonna come out of the tomb? You would have thought that they would have been there. You thought that they would have been at the tomb waiting 10, 9, 8, 7, counting down, but the truth is is that when that tomb opened, they weren't there. None of Jesus' friends were waiting for Jesus to come out. Why? Their hearts had been disheartened. They had seen him die on the cross. They were downcast. They were discouraged, and they had fled and abandoned Jesus. What a moment. But what we know is that Jesus appeared to them. What we know is that Mary Mary was the first one to run there, and she discovered the tomb to be open. Of course, she thought the body had been taken. Later, Jesus appeared to her, And then she runs back, and Peter and John tells them the news, and they run to the tomb. And by the end of the day, Jesus had appeared to all of his disciples. What we find out in our story is that we find out that nobody was expecting nobody. (laughs) Nobody was expecting nobody. But Jesus showed up, and he appeared to them. And we find out in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus throughout the the several days to follow, appeared to over 500 of his friends and family. Over 500 eyewitnesses saw Jesus. It gives us great assurance to know that Jesus truly rose from the dead. Matter of fact, more than, uh, here we are, 2,000 years later, and millions of people around the globe are being persecuted for their faith in Jesus. What do we know about those disciples? They not only saw Jesus, 
But they so believed in Jesus following his resurrection that all but John gave their life and were martyrs, killed for their faith in Jesus. It started a complete movement. That's how big this day was, the resurrection. It's wonderful. And what we see is that Jesus destroyed death. He flipped it on its head, and he began this great movement that would change the world. And it all began around this day, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, God's answer to death is found in an empty tomb in this day. It's found in an empty tomb. God's answer to COVID-19 is also found in an empty tomb in Resurrection Day. Uh, COVID-19, I know it's been on everybody's mind the last several weeks, if not months. It's a great reason that we need an answer to death. Let's just think about COVID-19. I read this last week that COVID-19 is this thing that it, it attaches to the blood. It actually prevents the blood from carrying oxygen to the main organs of, of the human body. That's what really causes the death. When these organs in our body don't receive the oxygen they need, they collapse, they shut down, and they create death. Even ventilators can't save a person if they've gone too far. Even ventilators. Doctors can't save people if it's gone too far. What do we see about COVID-19? COVID-19 has killed thousands of people already. COVID-19 has stolen trillions of dollars you know, from our people and from our tax dollars. COVID-19 has destroyed millions of jobs and businesses. And now what you've seen is a picture of sin, what sin does. You can't see sin, but the Bible says sin is like a thief that comes in to kill, steal, and destroy. Kill, steal, and destroy. We have in front of us, in this world today, we have a picture of exactly what the evil thing of sin does. As a matter of fact, sin has killed far more than all of the pandemics put together. If you counted all the deaths, every one of them, including the Spanish flu, the Asian flu, the Butonic plague, the Black plague, even AIDS, sin has killed more people than all of those put together. Sin has stolen love and joy. Sin has destroyed families. It's destroyed marriages. It's destroyed teenagers. It's destroyed billions of relationships. But here is the good news. Even though we don't have a cure for COVID-19, we have a cure for sin. Sin has a cure, and that cure has a name, and his name is Jesus. Amen? His name is Jesus. An empty tomb. I love that. A few years ago, actually, one of my good friends on this day, on Easter, he committed his life to Christ. David had, he'd been struggling all his life with, as, with alcohol, and he laid it on the line on an Easter morning, and he said, I'm coming to Jesus because I've tried everything else. And every year, that was several years ago, every year I always get a text from David. He's moved away. Dave Porras, I love you. And he's moved away and he always writes me. He says, thank you, Pastor Kyle. I remember this Sunday when I heard the message about Christ restoring and the cure that he brought to our world and our brokenness. And I gave my life to Christ and I've been delivered from alcohol since that time several years ago. See, Jesus' resurrection, his life, brings a cure 
to our brokenness, the sin of this world. And so I'm so grateful for that. You know, spiritual distancing is worse than social distancing. Have you ever thought about that? Think about that for a minute. Spiritual distancing is worse than social distancing. Worse than being separated from each other is being separated from God. Worse than trying to keep our hands clean is trying to keep our hearts clean. Jesus' death cured us from the sin virus and he reconciled us back to God. Uh, This is why the, the death and resurrection of Jesus is so very important. It's why Easter is so important to us today. Jesus' death solved spiritual distancing. Spiritual distancing. Look what happened in the moment that Jesus died. Matthew, one of the disciples, he captured something that we often overlook in the story of Easter. And let me just share, it's really, really short, but it's so powerful and profound, found in Matthew 27, verse 50. Here's what it says. Matthew, who was an eyewitness, look what he says in the message. Verse 50, it says this, but Jesus, again, crying out loudly, breathed his last, his last, it is finished. Remember that moment? As soon as Jesus says it's finished, look what happens. At that moment, the temple curtain was ripped into top to bottom. The temple curtain. What was the temple curtain? Well, for you that may not know, in the temple, there was this curtain that hung there separating people from the Holy of Holies, from God's presence. It was a curtain. It was quite large, actually. It was like 30 feet long. Uh, they believe it was about 30 feet high. That's a, that's a long and a high curtain, very thick, and it separated God's face from everybody else. And it says when Jesus died, when he completed his work on the cross, it says this curtain or this veil, it ripped in two. Now, if it's a 30-foot high curtain, and if a person was gonna rip it, they would start from the bottom, If man was gonna rip this, they would start from the bottom, right? Because it's 30 feet high. But it says the curtain ripped not from the bottom, it ripped from the top. It ripped from the top in half. In other words, God was the one. It was a miracle just like anything else that the veil, the curtain was ripped into. Why was it ripped into? So that we would no longer have to be separated from God that we would no longer have to be spiritually distanced from God. Spiritual distancing had been in place forever, but Jesus cured the threat of death and ended spiritual distancing from himself. No more shelter in place, no more isolation, no more hiding behind curtains, no need for masks, amen, or social distancing. Powerful. Matter of fact, I want to play you just a 30-second clip, just a short video. This is, let me just set this up, the Northwest University Choir, a great place to get a good education. They have a choir of about 100 students. Of course, they can't sing together any longer, but they decided, hey, we're going to put together a song and sing on Easter, even though they're practicing social distancing. (laughs) They are not practicing spiritual distancing and they are sharing a song. I'm just gonna play for you just 30 seconds. Here's a choir, almost 100 voices. Matter of fact, it's my sister-in-law, Brenda, who's leading the choir. You'll see her down in the video. Just 
lifting their voices together about the living hope of Jesus. Watch this clip, and uh, if you want, we're gonna show the entire song as a bonus at the very end, but this is a powerful, powerful song. Let's watch. Isn't that awesome? Our living hope, Jesus Christ. I love that. Check out Northwest uh, University, but I, you can see that at the end of our message. We'll have a little bonus of that whole song up there. You got your Bibles ready. I wanna just wrap up with what Paul says so clearly to us. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You know, we'll be trying forever to keep our hands cleaned, but Jesus made it possible to keep our hearts clean forever. That's greater than anything else. Jesus made it possible. Jesus took on our sin, and he traded our sin for his righteousness. He gave us his righteousness and took on our sin this is so powerful. This is, the, this is the, 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 the climax, really, of the gospel itself. Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. All to him I owe. You've got your Bible open, Romans. If you've got it, just turn to there, uh, Romans 8. I want to just read a portion of the scriptures. We close today. I want you to think in terms of what Paul, who his life was drastically changed by the resurrection, by the event of Jesus rising from the dead. Paul was, a, he said he considered himself the worst of sinners. He says, I've sinned more than anybody else. But here's what Paul discovered, living in this world full of troubles, full of difficulties, full of pandemics. Paul discovered, even in the trouble that he experienced, he said, I found a hope. And I want just to read his, his letter, um, just part of it, from verse 15 through um, verse 25. Uh, follow with me, and this again is in, in the message, so let me just read it quickly for us. Here's what he says. The resurrection life, that's the life that we've received. The resurrection life you've received from God is not timid, grave-tending life. It's not a grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike What's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is, and we know who we are, father and children. And we know we are going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance, amen? We go through exactly what Christ goes through. And if we go through the hard times with him, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with him. Verse 18, that's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Everything in creation is being more or less held back. In other words, the Bible is saying all creation is groaning. And I hear a lot of groaning, don't you, in the world? Just a lot of groaning, a lot of pain. 
The Bible says, Paul will go on, God reigns it in until both creation and all the creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead. Meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens because we believe in a future hope, right? Jesus said, you can believe in a future place where I've gone to prepare for you. Verse 22, all around us, we observe a pregnant creation. Now watch the imagery here. The difficult times of pain throughout the world for the believer are simply birth pains. But it is not only around us, it's not only around us, it's within us. In other words, our world is in pain, but we are also personally affected by pain. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We're also feeling the birth pains. These sterile and barren bodies of ours, they are yearning for full deliverance. This is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. In other words, giving more time to a pregnant woman never helps, never makes them feel better. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us. We can't see within us. But the longer we wait, the larger we become, and the more joyful our expectancy. Paul's saying this, the resurrection life you receive from God is not timid, it's not grave-tending, but what he's saying, it's just like a woman who is pregnant for the believer. It's just like a woman who's pregnant. Um, I guess that's why we call pregnancy, I mean, it's... If you talk with anybody, you understand that it is painful. It's why we call that 40 weeks. We, we call that hard work or labor, right? Um, giving birth to a baby or to multiple babies is hard work. And just think about the, the work, the, the, the contractions, the intensity, the pain, um, the epidurals, the needles, all of those kinds of things. And men, I know that guys, you're gonna just have to take imagine this because we've not experienced that. Maybe you've experienced maybe a kidney stone or something else. But today, I want to invite my daughter Kayla to come and just share with us for a minute because I think what Paul's saying is that it's like these pains that we're experiencing just like birthing a baby. We have to hear it from a mom. So this is a mom. This is my daughter Kayla, Nate's wife, and she's gonna share just for a moment what it was like to deliver twin babies. Let's, lo- let's watch and listen. Eight months ago, I was very uncomfortable. I was pregnant with two babies on bed rest. And, you know, some of us can now relate a little bit more to that, um, being completely homebound and limited in what you can do, um, limited in who you see. I know for me, the hardest part of that was not being able to pick up my daughter and get to, getting to play with her. Um, as I think back, I, I know it was physically, mentally, emotionally, one of the most agonizing experiences. And there was a lot of anxiety involved and it felt like it was going on forever. And yet I was also anxious because I wanted to keep these boys healthy um, and inside my body for as long as I could. And yet, um, reflecting back on that and even the labor and the delivery, um, of both boys, I 
I know it was so painful and it still blurs in comparison to that moment of getting to meet them. And I think that's why I like that um, passage in Romans 8 so much where Paul says that he considers that the present sufferings are nothing compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. And it feels so true in this illustration that he uses about all of creation um, being compared to waiting and suffering like this pregnant woman who is bringing her child into the world. Because truly, all of that suffering and all of that pain was ultimately serving a purpose and came to fruition with all that joy that there was when I got to hold my boys together for the first time after they were born. I remember that moment. It was in the NICU about 24 hours after um, Lewis and Knox were born. And um, Knox was placed on my chest for the first time. And then his brother, Lewis, who I had held in my arms many times prior to that for the um, first you know day of his life. Um, but I finally got them both on my chest at the, at the same time when we were reunited. Um, and it was, it was absolutely amazing. And I, I think that this image is so fitting um, when Paul talks about this because it reminds me that all of the suffering and all of the hard things that we go through in this life ultimately are pointing to an even greater joy that that moment that I experienced with Lewis and Knox and with my daughter even a couple years ago is just an echo of. And in light of Easter too, this illustration also makes me think of the most beautiful truth that Jesus himself endured so much agony and so much suffering and he did it ultimately for that joy ahead of him of being able to hold you and I close to him, his kids. And there's just, there's no greater joy or hope than that truth. It's a powerful story, isn't it? But to see the picture of those two boys, Knox and Lewis, makes all the pain it makes all of the past, all the bed rest, all of those moments of agony pale in comparison to the joy in front of her. The temptation to quit will be the greatest just before you're about to succeed. There's always going to be a temptation to quit just before you're about to succeed, about to deliver. You can't, the thing is you can't quit a pregnancy and neither should you give up on the hard things in life. You shouldn't give up on your marriage. Don't give up on your spouse. Don't give up on your teenager. Don't give up at work. Don't give up on church. Don't give up on Jesus. Jesus didn't give up on you and he didn't give up on me. Here's what the writer of Hebrews wrote about Jesus, because he wanted to embrace us. He endured what was in front of him. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, it says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you and I may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Kayla is right. Jesus didn't give up on any of us because he wanted to hold us close. And today, on this day of resurrection, I hope your prayer, I hope you're looking, you're fixing your eyes on the one that can save you, not just from COVID-19, but from every sin and every horrible and evil thing that this world could throw at us. I hope you'll lean into him today. I hope you'll do what my friend Dave did years ago and say, God, there's a lot of brokenness here, but I know that you're the only one who can fix that. You came out of the tomb. You conquered death, the worst enemy there was. And today, he can conquer whatever you're facing as well. I invite you to pray with me. And we're gonna pray in just this minute. Beth Moore said this, the purpose exceeds the pain. The purpose exceeds the pain. Whatever you're experiencing that's painful today, there's a greater purpose. God will use it in your life. Would you pray with me? Would you close your eyes and right there in your living room and in your home, right there in your car, would you just allow me to pray with you today? Would you just close your eyes? And for you that maybe you used to trust the Lord and you've maybe faded away from him and maybe you've lost hope, maybe you used to go to church regularly, come on back. Come on back, to not just to church, but come up back to Jesus. He has never left pursuing you. And I hope this is a day where you will give him another opportunity to let him love you and let him make you feel whole and, and bring hope to your heart and hope to your life. Can I pray for you today? With your eyes closed, let me just pray. Jesus, we trust you to be our savior. Would you do in us what you did in my friend Dave years ago. As we lay down our life, we know that it's not about trying harder. We know that it's not about uh, doing more. The truth is it's about laying down our lives and just confessing that we are broken and we are sinful and we need a savior. And thank you, Jesus, that you are the best place for us to start today. You told us to not let our hearts be troubled. God, we have troubled hearts today. All through the world are troubled hearts. But Father, we are trusting you in uncertain times. We choose to trust you with our future. And as you found joy in doing the hard thing when you went to the cross, may we find joy in doing the hard thing. It's so helpful to know that our hard thing is not death pains, they're birthing pains. And out of this crisis, and out of this hard labor, and out of this birth can come something beautiful, a delivery, like these two beautiful boys you gave to Kayla. You're gonna give us something special, an inheritance, an eternal life. So we thank you today, Jesus, for the resurrection. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Thanks for letting me pray with you today. And what I'd love for you to do is just to share in the comments or send me a text or our email, any of our pastors. We want to pray with you today. Would you just write it into the comments? I prayed with you today, Pastor Kyle. 
my life is going to be trusted into, into Jesus from this point forward. I'm going to commit my ways to him. I want you to listen now. Several people who have shared with us and want to share with you what the resurrection power has meant to them. So let's watch them and then let's rejoice and sing together as the worship team comes back.